here we go! Welcome to the Nintendo Power Zone. We are a video cast slash podcast dedicated to bringing you the best Nintendo-related topics. I am your host, Nice1983, and joining me today are my co-hosts, Blues and Jay Brilliant. Guys, isolation. There aren't many games that take a concept like that and truly make you feel immersed. In fact, isolation, the process of being completely alone, is something that most people will never truly experience firsthand. Yet this concept is significant to the Metroid franchise. Samus Aran is an isolated character on a near desolate world, and the few inhabitants that do exist on this planet are a threat to her existence, isolating her even further. While controlling Samus Aran, the game wants the player to feel that sense of isolation that Samus feels, and that is the core tenet of the franchise. This sense of isolation, though, has moved beyond the games themselves, as fans of this franchise have felt isolated by Nintendo. The last major entry to the franchise was the lackluster game The Other M, and Metroid Prime Federation Forces felt like Nintendo dealt us a cruel slap to the face. But at E3 2017, Nintendo graced us with not one, but two Metroid reveals. Metroid Prime 4 and Metroid Samus Returns, a full 3D remake of the Game Boy Classic titled Metroid's Return of Samus. Today on the Nintendo Power Zone, we're going to deep dive Samus Returns. But first, we're going to hit up the Power Up News. So guys, how are you guys doing today? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Today's a good day. Um, tonight is the midnight launch of Mario Odyssey, so we're super. I'm super excited. Um, it's going to be great. So yeah, today's a, got a good outlook going for it. And today's going to be a great show I already know. So. Oh yeah, I'm definitely excited about Odyssey. Jay Brilliant, how are you feeling, man? Feeling really good. Jump Up Superstar is stuck in my head. Let me tell you about it. Nintendo's really pulling the hype for Mario Odyssey, and I can't wait to get my hands on that game. Oh, I know. Oh. My girl can't stand that song anymore. I sing it all the time. <laughs> my wife's got stuck in her head now, and she didn't even know about Mario Odyssey coming out this month. It's in everyone's head. Like, every, <laughs> like 90% of the population of Earth is, is in their head. Jump Up Superstar. It's all, their, all it's in their head. Well, and Nintendo's really done a great job of plastering that commercial everywhere so it's oh, true. pretty much all you see i was watching adult yes. swim it came on during adult swim it came on yes. during the walking dead season premiere like it's mm -hmm. it's everywhere yeah anyway, guys we got a lot of news to talk about um i actually want to start with the nintendo world championships that just happened mm -hmm. uh they were fantastic i yes. watched the whole affair i did a the new my new live stream format for that my new live reaction format for that just to test it out wasn't intended to do a live reaction to it but <clears throat> pretty much did and yeah man there was a very wide selection of games for mm -hmm. that and uh birds and beans yeah man yeah. i wasn't expecting that game. I, I didn't even know that was a full-on game i thought that was a oh. warioware game oh it is but i have the full-fledged game for my dsi and dsi well three guess now but transported it i had the thing on my dsi i was like well this is game is strangely addictive it, it yeah. looks like a mobile game, yeah, and I and I sometimes that gets me into something I want to talk about a little bit later. Mm -hmm. But Nintendo has always had these like great mini experiences mm -hmm. that would work great on a cell phone platform, um, like that game, like Birds and Beans. That that's the perfect kind of game for sitting on a bus, sitting on the train, you know, sitting in the back seat of a car, waiting in the doctor's office. That's the kind of game that you would play, and it's weird. And we're gonna talk about more about their mobile yes. plans in a minute, so I'm but not gonna get too deep into that. Yeah, but the championships are great, and we almost crowned a two-time world champion. Oh, John, John Numbers, Numbers did an amazing performance. 
this is only the third Nintendo Championships, and yes. he almost took the crown twice. It was yes. I was like, "There's no way. There's no like, way that he's gonna come Nunn. back here and win." Yeah, like even though his name all games. John Numbers was John uh, Numbers. He won last year, and then he took second this year. Yes, John Numbers. Man, incredible Gosh. performance. I was not expecting that, um, but man, they had some games and. <clears throat> They did a good job of showcasing the old and the new. Like mm. it was cool to see Balloon fight. Yes, you know, come back. <laughs> it was definitely cool to see uh, Arms uh, yes. playable. Uh, they had Smash. Yes, they had all these great games, and then of course they capped things off with some really awesome uh, Mario Odyssey uh, speedrun yeah. session. When, and, and you, you can call it what you want, but that was they were basically taught to speedrun. Yeah. You know, through a boss fight, which was actually pretty cool. That's that's mm-hmm. a nice little vertical slice of of Mario Odyssey that we hadn't yet seen. Mm-hmm. I kind of wish they hadn't taken us to a boss fight. Yeah, but I mean, it's cool to see that boss, it's, especially since that boss gives me Wind Waker flashbacks. Oh, for me, it's Ocarina of Time at the the what well? I think it's the well, or like the the other temple after the well. But yeah, it's the yeah. other temple after the well. Yeah, it, it, that that boss fight is mm-hmm. very, very Zelda esque. I mean, obviously the way you fight it, unlike yeah. Zelda. Yeah, but like just the the whole style of it. I'm like, man, all I could think about was Wind Waker when I saw that. But Great World Championships, four straight hours of Nintendo competition, and Nintendo did a really good job of selecting. You know, the announcers. You mm-hmm. had a uh, Jordan Camp, and you had a uh, you know D1. Nintendo should just put these guys on the payroll. And start Probably. doing more, doing more tournaments of their own, but I think they did a fantastic job. The championships mm-hmm. were lit. That trophy is awesome, and yes. I need to go to one of these as a competitor <laughs> because I want a chance at winning that big ass trophy. Oh, the trophy looks great. And one thing that I, I really like that I saw them kind of encouraging with that, with the whole championships in general, was taking like a whole game and taking a chunk of it, adding some self-enforced rules, and. and having a fun competitive time so very first event breath of the wild shield surfing you have the whole game of breath of the wild and we're doing our whole competition about shield surfing you can do so much with that and i love that they sort of did that um, i'm not sure if you guys ever saw on um, on the nintendo like just nintendo channel on the wii where you saw like nintendo week there was um i think i want to call it ultimate nintendo challenge is that was that what it's called think that was it but they like they had self-enforced rules of who could beat the level etc whatever in this style and i love that that was so oh, yeah they did do something like that um mm-hmm. that um early in the switch's lifespan i completely forgot about that man so much stuff has happened in this well, it, in it was in the small... lifespan i thought i don't even remember i know they did they had a competition for switch you know for the switch where specifically like they played mario kart 8 deluxe and they yes. played Breath of the wild and they played a couple of games but they yeah I didn't even think about that. Yeah, they did have all these, you know, self-imposed, self-contained rules for mm-hmm. these specific sections of the game. That was yes. actually pretty smart. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing I wish they would have done, though, um, is for Smash, mm-hmm. not using, uh, you know, not using stock and Smash, using the timer. That's that that is not a great way. Yeah. It's so hard, and especially if you're doing eight-player Smash, yes. it gets really hard to you know understand what's happening on the screen sometimes. You don't know like the, the elimination would be so much easier rather than stocks. going to the set, If you set it to like 10 stocks and you just let them go ham on one another. Yeah, I totally think that by using 
by using time a timer instead of stock, it made you know the action hard to follow, and it made that last a lot longer. And you truly didn't get a sense as to who was the best competitor uh, playing Smash at the time, because when you know you have unlimited stocks to work with, you play a lot riskier. Yes, definitely. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not saying that they needed to go, you know, with one-on-one -on -one matches like a traditional Smash tournament, but I would no. prefer to have seen, you know, set it to 10 stocks. 10 stocks is a lot. 5 stocks is a lot. In 10 stocks were taking longer than the time, I feel, but maybe like 8, 6 would have been great. I don't know if 10 stocks would have taken that long with 8 players. At the with 8 time. players, it takes a long time. I play Smash a lot. It, it takes a while. Alright. Well, mm -hmm. I mean... Ultimately, though, I, I think the Nintendo World Championships turned out to be a pretty successful event. I would like to see Nintendo doing more of that. But, mm -hmm. you know, instead of, like, one larger competition, you know, just moving out and letting these games uh, have their own individual things, especially some of the newer games like Mario Kart or Splatoon 2 or ARMS, or, you know, Lord knows if we get a Smash Brothers game in the in the near future. But letting these games have some individual Nintendo... Nintendo-made tournaments would be a really good idea. I mean, they do sponsor Evo. They do sponsor, like, bigger Smash tournaments now. They did mm -hmm. before, but they do now. And to see them do their own legitimate tournament scene, they could have seasons oh, for each game. So mm -hmm. you could have, you know, an arm season, you could have mm -hmm. a you know, smash season, you could have a season of uh, Mario Kart, Splatoon. You you could break these games at Pokemon. Pokemon tournament. If, the po if Nintendo and the Pokemon company combined their resources, Pokemon could have a very legitimate tournament scene. Yes, that's, yes, it's true. Specifically, uh, specifically, since you have two companies that work independently of one another, that could each help finance a large-scale Pokemon tournament community. Now, the problem is, is that as good as Pokemon tournament has been, and as good as the sales numbers have been for that game, for both iterations—the one on the Wii U and the one on the Switch—the Pokemon Company has not taken. A lot of control in promoting the game. Now they have added it to the World Championships, yes. which is that's a great idea. But the mm -hmm. problem is, is that you have a full day of qualifiers that they do. You could eliminate the qualifiers in their entirety if you had a season where players compete for a certain amount of points and. You need X amount of points to make it to you know the, the world championships. Mm -hmm. If they if they take a bigger stance on legitimizing Pokemon, it could be the biggest fighting game out of all of them because of the popularity of Pokemon as a whole and the financing of both Nintendo and the Pokemon Company. So I, go ahead. I think I think you nailed that spot on. Um, as a founder of my local um, play Pokemon event. Every, every week, um, I, I have to agree. Because you're given the season for the trading card games. You're given the season for VGC. You're given multiple seasons with each badge per season out of the eight seasons each year. And so, and then the top people do, do get invites to Worlds or to Qualifiers, etc. throughout the whole season. You're creating an established base of, of players, of, of comp competition on a very 
regular basis throughout the year, whereas with just having it at Worlds, you're saying, uh, you know, this game that we have, that you, like, none of our community plays because we don't promote it as much throughout our main competitive season. Well, now you can play it all for the Grand Cup and, well, and throw it at you in this one whole day. One And one more thing to take into consideration is that this coming season will be the first season where the Masters are winning money. Yes. Mm-hmm. This this upcoming season, this upcoming uh yeah, that I guess it starts in like two or three months. Yes, I believe so. I think w- once the, the season, it'll be the twenty eighteen VGC TCG season. Yeah. Once that, that season so. starts, there is a true financial gain. Up until this point, mm-hmm. you were receiving scholarships. Yes, but for masters, a lot of them are already out of college, etc. Exactly. But people in the masters division are going to be drawn to, you know, a game like Pokken. Fighting games in general. Yes. Now that there's a financial reward, mm-hmm. like a true financial reward for competing in Pokken, I think we're going to see a large uptick in the in the Probably. amount of players uh, that, that participate in Pokken. Mm-hmm. So what I would like to see from this point forward is them taking greater control, creating a season similar to their, you know, they do with the you know the TCG the VGC mm-hmm. and just fixing that. Um, while we're on the subject of Pokemon, let's move on to our next story. So, Pokemon Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon are the last uh, Pokemon games on the 3DS, and they're moving on to the Switch. Well, mm-hmm. they added to that story a couple days ago by saying that the younger staff members developed Pokemon Ultra Sun, and the veteran staff are currently working on the Switch. So this is pretty much it. End of end of an era for the 3DS with the Pokemon titles shifting. Um, not a bad thing. It's it's nice that they're shifting this fast. Mm-hmm. Typically, they let the newer hardware exist for more than a year before they add a new entry into the main series on that newer Black hardware. Two, yeah, example. halfway almost halfway through the lifespan. For black and white, and then the black and white two. At the end of the DS lifespan, like they wait, they don't come out with those games like mm-hmm. right off the bat. So and the X came in like two years into three, maybe longer. Yeah, yeah they, longer. They waited like, much for longer. the install base. They wait for mm-hmm. the install base to establish itself, and yes. now they're working on a game now. And with the young, you know, you know, the younger staff working on Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon, their goal is to blow this game out of proportion. Like oh. They've already said the story is pretty much twice as long now, which the game looks darker from that last trailer. Like they've, oh. <clears throat> they're shooting for a little bit of a older demographic with the Pokemon. Like they're they're trying to, to me, it looks like they're trying to get back the black and white fans with hmm. this entry. Got um, it. But it's nice to know that Game Freak is ultimately large enough that they can split up. Mm-hmm. Into two, de- you know, into two design teams, and work on two separate games, uh, pretty much simultaneously. Now, granted, one of them is already pre-built. Like, there's yeah. not a whole lot of world building that is going on for you know Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon. But I, we don't know. I mean, I, hopefully, there are enough changes that um that that make that game worth a repurchase. Personally, I was gonna buy it again regardless, but. I would definitely want to see them take a more active role in showing us something. We're a month away from this game, and I feel like I don't know very much about it. 
Um, what I do see, I think, is cool, though. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, I, I don't know. I, I, I kind of want more. I feel like they, they're dragging us by the toes. Um, that's... Go ahead. That, that's how Pokemon's already sort of done it. We get, like, the starters, like an X and Y, perfect example. We got the starters, like, legendaries, for, like, months. We got a few couple pieces of, like, Fletchling, etc. throughout the year. And then, like, the week before launch, we get, we got all the news that we really craved. So, they wait until the last second, normally. Um, yeah, you see, but the problem is, is that last year, mm -hmm. I had to create a spinoff podcast. Because there was literally news coming out every yeah, week. Yeah, so much. Mm -hmm. It was, it was, there was such an abundance of news is that yeah. I was like, yo, we can't wait to the end of the month to record this. So mm -hmm. the show got weekly for a while, uh, which was never really the intention, but it happened. And that was really hard to maintain, especially when like we knew that we'd just be talking about Pokemon news. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it's just odd to see like how different the, 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 the promotion between these two games has been. Yeah. All right, so on Tuesday this past week, they did the Animal Crossing Direct. Uh, mm. First things first, I want to say that Nintendo dropped the ball with this Direct. Uh, could not find it on YouTube. Nope. Oh. <laughs> <I had laughs> live. I read footnotes. Yeah. I, <laughs> I had to go to the Nintendo Direct website and then stream from my phone to my TV, and thank God I have a very smart TV, because <laughs> if I didn't, I'd be watching on my phone, and I was like, and I don't like to watch directs from my phone. No, I guess Most of the time, I, w I would live react to them, but I didn't feel like uh, an Animal Crossing direct necessitated a, a live reaction, um, and a mobile game, nonetheless. Um, yeah. That being said, I did watch it. Um... I'm surprised at how much it actually looks like a real Animal Crossing game. It yes. Look, it, I mean, it is a scrubbed-down version of an Animal Crossing game, but it's more fully fledged out than I than I gave it credit for. Um, out of all of Nintendo's mobile games, it's the one that looks like the most, like the one it comes from. The main game. It looks like the most... It's the one that's most similar to the main game. Well, incredibly, it looks better than the last <laughs> two entries. I think uh, did. Oh, yes. That's <laughs> <laughs> the first thing I thought was like, okay, this is cool. Is it going to be like Mitomo, though? You know what? Right? Animal Crossing would have been the game. It should have been yes. what Mitomo. Mitomo should have been what Animal Crossing yes. is going to be. Um, yeah. Because there is that whole, you know, visit your friend's campsite and all that yeah. stuff. There's a whole lot. That game is yeah. fully fleshed out, and I was yes. surprised. I was, and it looks like an Animal Crossing game, and I'm, and I'm like, wow. I'm not a huge Animal Crossing fan. I have never sat down and legitimately played an Animal Crossing game. I am aware of Animal Crossing's longstanding with its fan base, and I'm aware of how much of a a sales giant that franchise is for Nintendo's. I mean, I paid attention to uh, uh, the. The, the happy home. Well, happy home designer sold a million units in a week, and the one before that, New Leaf, is like an evergreen title, and they just make money off of that all the time. And I understand how disappointed people were in the fact that the Wii version of Animal Crossing was Mario Party, and that pissed a lot of people off. And we still haven't had an announcement for Animal Crossing for the Switch, and that's kind of pissing people off. Mm -hmm. 
but I'm I'm not I'm not the fan. But I, I I know how the game works, and I'm surprised at the way I'm surprised. And it's a really smart way of them doing the whole microtransactions uh, within a game. That franchise lends itself to that kind of like you know uh, money making philosophy. Yes, that is a perfect title for them, and it's going to do bigger. That I think it's going to be bigger than Fire Emblem, Mario Run, and Mitomo combined. Oh, that's uh, right. I totally forgot. There was a Fire Emblem mobile game. Fire Emblem <laughs> Heroes, right? Yeah. Dang. I totally forgot they're, about that. They've <laughs> they got a lot of good updates for it, though, actually. They're doing, like, first summon free for each new, like, pack, etc. So they're doing, they're doing a lot of stuff now with Heroes. Yeah. Just really happy to... Well, the thing awesome. about Fire Emblem is, is that it it's huge. Yeah. And it's, it's, not, it's not a good game. Like, not to say that it's a okay, it's not a bad game, mm-hmm. but it's not a good game. It is definitely not a Fire Emblem game. Uh, Fire Emblem games have a, have a legitimate like long and complicated story, and that's basically just like battle these guys because you want them to be on your team later. That, that's the whole story of Fire Emblem Heroes: battle these guys. And I'm not like design wise. Design I enjoyed the art. I think mm-hmm. the sprites are great, and I think the you know the fully fledged character art when you're in battle and you're doing an you know attack. I think that all looks really awesome, and I enjoy, what I like about the character sprites is the the, the throwback to traditional old school two D RPGs. Mm-hmm. But the whole lack of a story, I stopped playing that game in three days. Yeah. It has a, it has a story though. It's not the best, and it's definitely not canon, but it has I a mean, story. You know, what are you expecting from a mobile game though? Yeah. That's the thing. You have to go and thinking this is a mobile game. Mm-hmm. Like I, a you see, I, I don't want I don't want that mentality. Nintendo no. to adopt that mentality. That's the thing. Nintendo is an, they they have they have the best IP mm-hmm. for a reason. Uh, maybe you know, with Mario, the story doesn't. Ha- with Mario, the story doesn't have to be fully fledged. It doesn't. I mean, Mario plus Rabbids drops the story halfway through the game. Uh, I beat that game recently. There's no resolution. You never find out who that chick is. Sad face. Um, although I, I will say it does have a funny like time travel element to it at the end. Anyway. You know, modern stories don't have a lot of... They're not, they're not very big. No. Even Breath of the Wild doesn't have a whole lot of story. It has no. story elements, mm-hmm. and, and it finds a way to connect all those elements so that you get into you get a story. But it's... 90% of Breath of the Wild is exploration. Yes. And, like, the rest of that is, like, combat, and then story comes last. Like, there's very yeah. little story in Breath of the Wild. Mm-hmm. But I want Nintendo to, to, to take their IP and, you know, fully realize a comprehensive story. And Fire Emblem doesn't really give me that. Um, and I haven't played it enough. I didn't, I didn't enjoy it enough to, you know, to see what, if any, uh, resolution is even available to the to the storyline. But, uh, I mean, I did enjoy it for a while. It was, mm-hmm. and I would, I didn't delete it, so it is something I would pick up and play again at some point. Um, but it's definitely not my priority when I can have like, you know, Mario plus Rabbids on my Switch and bring my Switch yeah. with me anywhere I go now. Um, my whole mentality has shifted between like what games I play 
when I'm on the go because of the Switch. Like, mm-hmm. I used to sit down and play a lot more mobile games, and now that the Switch is, you know, in my life, mm-hmm. I play my Switch a lot more when I'm out in public. All right. But, yeah, you know, back to what we were saying about the birds and the beans, though. Nintendo has these games, like, that would fit into this mobile category, yes. and I think Animal Crossing, like Birds and the Beans, fits perfectly as a mobile game. And I would like to see them do more of that. I mean, I'm thinking about like other titles they could do. WarioWare would make a perfect mobile game. Mm-hmm. They have so many games that could just transition, yet they, they want to create new experiences, and I don't necessarily think they're hitting the nail on the head with all of them. Like Mitomo. Mitomo, once you get past like, you know, the initial excitement that this is Nintendo's first app, there's not a whole lot to do and it's not a whole lot of fun. That's Especially cool. if you play uh, Tomodachi Life. Yes. You're not getting that full experience. I played Tomodachi Life. I love that game. And when I got Mitomo, I initially thought, okay, we're porting it to the phone, but yeah. Yes. There's a lot of yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And with Nintendo moving away from Miis with the Switch, it almost makes Miitomo... It, it lessens Miitomo as, as a whole because now you have this whole system where they've pretty much made the Miis an afterthought where they were so prevalent in the last two consoles before it. So to have mm-hmm. anything just strictly based on a Mii seems counterintuitive to you know their future plans. Yeah. Although it's easier, it's easier to friend people through Mitomo to friend them on Switch than just giving a friend some a friend code. Yeah, I have to agree. It's better to do Mitomo than friend codes, which is still super super indirect. Well, I have a bunch of friends from you know Super Mario Run that I have on my Switch because of that. Their whole the infrastructure that they've created between the mobile games and the console games is nice because now you are just adding people. Yes. Super easy. All right, guys. So we have two more, two more news <laughs> topics to cover, and I want to go ahead and I want to move on to those real quick. So Nintendo Switch got updated to version 4.0, and there are a lot of new features. There are a lot of new features. There's a couple, like not, a, it's not a huge update. It's it's really mm-hmm. not. But the features that they added, kind of mind blowing. Uh, I want to talk about this one first because this one has come out in the last few days. Uh, the GameCube adapter got yes. support, uh, yes. leading everybody to start their Smash, you know, brothers uh, rumors. Speculation. The speculation has begun. We're all there. It's, I was already there as soon as it uh, dropped. I was like, mm, Smash, here we go. Are you using Virtual Console? No. You know what's really awesome about the That's GameCube? It. Oh yeah, Virtual Console. Yeah. But what I really like about it is is that it's functional for multiple games. Mm-hmm. Fire Which, here. It, or was, Warriors. it was not functional on the Wii U for any other yeah. game other than Smash. Yeah. Okay. So I can finally play games that I want to play using my favorite controller of all time. The GameCube controller is my all-time favorite controller, and the only game I really don't like playing uh, using it with is arms, just because I don't like the uh, the L. Not that the L and the R button are bad, but they just it just feel wrong when that's pretty much how I would be playing. It, it's okay. they're not the right kind of triggers for a game like arms. Yeah. So what yeah. games do they work with if that's the case? 
Uh, I know it works with Mario Kart. I know it works with ARMS. I It works with Mario plus Rabbids. It works with Fire Emblem okay. Warriors as well. Okay. I think that's all of them for now. But I'm sure we'll get more support as well. But yeah, that's, it, that's good. fair amount of support for that. I mean, it, it might actually work with Breath of the Wild. Oh, probably. Mm-hmm. That's what it could be. No, I, I think you need the extra shoulder button. Um, the extra Z. You might need that, I think, for Breath of the Wild. What? what Trying to visualize here, so you have the arrows, the shield, targeting. No. Um, regardless, it. I mean, I did try it out with arms. I personally didn't like it, but I thought it worked great for Mario Kart uh, 8 Deluxe. That oh, I'm sure. Fantastic. It, it had my double dash flashbacks with that. Uh, <laughs> but that's not the only feature. I think we should just go ahead and talk about it right now. They finally unlocked the capture, and it's awesome. 30-second yes. clips, up to 30-second mm-hmm. clips, mm-hmm. Um, you know, that you can post to your social media sites like uh, Twitter and Facebook. Personally, I'm a little underwhelmed. Not because I don't think this is an awesome feature, but I own an Xbox One and I own a PlayStation 4. And, you, you know, having all three of these consoles... They're, they also have a capture function integrated into their systems, one that was pretty much available at launch. Um, and they're fully integratable into Twitter. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, yeah, Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, and YouTube. Mm-hmm. And you can stream long play sessions, uh, I think up to eight hours on the PS4. I'm not aware of the Xbox's uh, limitations. Um, because I don't use it all that much. But you can record long play sessions uh, without the need of any external uh, capture cards. Now, I understand that this is Nintendo's first foray into you know capture functions. But after this long with the Switch, and I know it's been less than a year, but the Switch is a, is a device that I use Every day since March 3rd. To have waited this long for this function. Finally get it. And to see. The very strict limitation that Nintendo placed on it. That was. Fairly disappointing. Um, And I, I understand why they did it. I mean obviously. To cap you know. They have to make a con- they have to sign a contract with either YouTube or Twitch, and they have to figure out a way that they can fully integrate it all. And that takes a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And I'm certain they probably do have people that literally their sole job is to focus on these types of media outlets. But I feel like they should have had this ready to go. They should have had Twitch on board. Should have had YouTube on board, and they didn't, and that's disappointing. It's great that I can post thirty second clips to to Twitter, though. I think that's a great way for podcasters and you know YouTubers to promote live streams. Hey, I'm gonna be live. I'm going live in ten minutes. Here's a thirty second clip of me doing something badass in Pokemon Tournament, Arms, Smash Brothers, Rabbids. Every game Mm -hmm. that uses it, I'm doing something badass in this game. Take a look at it. I'm streaming. You want to see more badass stuff like that? Watch the stream. That's a great promotional tool. And it's a great meme generator. 
Like, you can make so many memes now with that. The, the memes that have come from Odyssey's capture function, like, within that own game, that's going to be ridiculous. Yeah, there are so many... You know, there are so many things you can do with it, and that's why I think it's great, but ultimately, I'm still left disappointed because I wanted just... I just wanted more. And now that we know the extent of it, I don't necessarily think they're going to give us streaming capabilities with the Switch. And it makes me wonder if it's if it's a limitation of the hardware itself. Is, is, it, is it the fact that the hardware can't necessarily do this efficiently? Because if we think about the Switch's hardware, I don't necessarily think the Switch is as underpowered as everybody says it is. Mm-hmm. But then I do have to come to terms with the fact that the whole console is a tablet. So I just wonder if that's a limitation of the device or if that's a self-imposed limitation that Nintendo is giving us. Outside of that, what do you guys think of the new capture function? I do like it. I just kind of do wish it was a little bit longer. And like, I, and like you previously said, like stream capabilities would have been nice to where we could just stream directly from the console to whatever. However, um, like you mentioned in my previous stream, you were like, hey, you should try capture stuff capturing what you're doing right now, send it to Twitter and whatnot so people can see what you're doing, and I'm like, that is actually a really good promotional tool. So streamers can benefit from it a lot, and they really should, especially if they're going to be streaming, like, Pokemon Tournament. I know they've got a few streamers on there. Um, I know my Odyssey is going to get a buttload of streamers, so that's really going to help them as well. And I'm glad that Nintendo added it to the Switch. I just wish it were a, it, it could record a little bit longer, and maybe a little bit like at a higher frame rate, because I think it drops to 30 frames per second when you record, I think is what it records at. Really? Uh, I don't know. Even the specs. I, I actually didn't look at how, how deep that actually went, but I do know that even the 30 second clips that you do get do, do look a little rough when you when you watch yeah. them, when you replay them. Because it's like 720p, I think, is the uh, resolution, and then it's like 30 frames. Uh, it drops to 30 frames per second, I think. Nonetheless, I had a crap ton of fun. I was playing Splatoon the other day, and uh, we, we were playing Salmon Run, and we were doing that thing where you have to shoot the fish out of the drain pipes, and once you have enough golden eggs, you know, you don't shoot those pipes anymore. So there's literally 30 seconds of me and three other players just flopping around dancing. I was like, Squid Dance Party! And I posted that to Twitter, and that's all really cool, and I've had some great... I've been playing a lot of ARMS lately, so I've been posting a lot of my ARMS clips to Twitter. I think it's a really good promotional tool. I think they're doing a fantastic job of of just, you know, having that kind of functionality on a system this small. I just... Oh, yeah. I just want a little more. Uh, Brennan, your thoughts? So, I think... In comparison, it, it isn't as good, but I feel like what we have, it's perfect the way it is. I, I feel like, for the Switch's premise, it's great. So so what we have is 30 seconds, and I'm, I'm personally disappointed by it. But you look at this, this console is geared towards mobile and home gaming, take on the go, quick play sessions, etc. Um, 30 seconds is fine. I think it's got a very simple, it's limited, but simple editing features. You can like crop it copy your videos, etc. Um, and then there's not really much else you do other than posting to Facebook, Twitter. And, and I I think for for a casual gaming audience, that's great. Um, I feel like live could have been good. 
I see why you can't do longer, because the switch runs on an external memory. Um, what's the base memory, like 32 or something? Like, it, it's... The, without that extra SD card that has to be really big, recording a whole hour's worth of footage from a really long play session is going to be killer on your memory. You're not going to have enough memory for that, and let's say your all your downloaded games, all the rest of the things in your album, etc. And so I totally get from a memory standpoint, yeah, it's going to be hard. From a hardware capability standpoint, it's probably going to be harder as well. Um, but I, I like the idea of it being very simple, very fast, very streamlined. I'm okay with it not being fully fledged. I think a good majority of the audience for the Switch is going to love it, regardless of how it is. No, I agree. I think people are going to enjoy. Uh, they're going to enjoy it as a whole. It's, it's mm-hmm. like I said. It has so many uses uh, as far as promotion, meme editing, or just in general, just showing off. Yes. Yeah, I keep forgetting it's there. Honestly, there's been some yeah. times like I did some. I had a couple of great matches in arms the other night, and I'm just like, oh, it's cool. And I was like, I wish someone could have seen. That oh, like, well, they could have. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That that's my thoughts exactly. I always have my left thumb trained to the capture button at all times, and because, Explore, right? because no, well, no, just in general because I was always taking screenshots when I was playing arms. Okay. Yeah. So my my thumb is always like instinctually knows where that capture button is. Okay. But I've been playing replaying arms a lot lately, especially with the new update to it with the badges mm-hmm. and whatnot. Badges I love. Oh, that's new? Oh, oh, yeah. I have been enjoying taking video clips of me just whooping ass in that game. I'm like, oh, what? What did I just do? Oh, I just hit you with this sick grab, grab combination. How you like that? You know, it's just a nice way, fun way to show off. But I think it is... I think I think it works. Like I said, I am slightly underwhelmed. Um, but I'm quickly getting over it. So... Last news story. This is the one that got me really fired up uh, last weekend. I basically went on a very long Twitter rant because of this. This this just deeply upset my soul. So, last week, Mario Odyssey got leaked uh, ahead of its, you know, street date. I don't even I don't know exactly which Asian territory it got leaked in, but it did. Um, people. Played it, captured the footage, released it to the internet. Yeah. This now this is not the the consumer's fault that you know stores can't control the street dates. If the, if 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 I could have bought Mario Odyssey a week early, I damn sure you damn sure know that I would have. Would I? Jeopardize potential reviewers, YouTubers. Would I jeopardize everything that I've built for 15 minutes of fame? No, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. So this guy, uh, I'm not going to say his name. He doesn't deserve it. He does not deserve his name to be mentioned on the show. Jerk face. Let's go with that. Shithead, dick face, pussy. Oh, that's wow. a joke. Okay. Fuck boys. We can call him whatever we want here. Yeah. Um. <laughs> he decided that he was going to put the entire game on YouTube. Not the opening sequence. Not the kingdoms that we've already seen. What? The entire game. He leaked the entire game oh. in two-hour segments. 
spoiling the entire game to anybody who sat there and watched. And I didn't watch any of the videos, but I was paying attention to his views. On Sunday, he had 10,000 views on one section of the game, and it was only going to continue to grow. Now, the problem with this is, is that this game is embargoed. For those who don't know what an embargo means, it means you sign a contract that you will not release any information other than the information that has already been released. So we know of New Donk City, we know of the Seaside Kingdom, we know of uh, uh, Testarina, uh, and there's one that escapes me, but it's not... Oh, Wild oh, the Rainforest. The, um, the, the Wildwoods. Yeah, yeah. Any footage that gets the, of, of those sections of the game is pretty fair game. That's footage that Nintendo has already shown us, and you can, sh you know, but they didn't even show us all of those kingdoms. They showed us segments of those kingdoms. Yes. To, to, with those embargoes, these people, reviewers, YouTubers, podcasters who get access to these review copies of the game, they, you know, they, they review these games because of Nintendo's good graces. Like, they have built a relationship with Nintendo that allows them to get these get this access to review copies and they work hard to get those you know to be to be a youtuber is a hard thing in general because you really just can't be a youtuber and only a youtuber you have to supplement your income yeah because youtube is not a stable career path unless you work at the youtube corporate office like for google it's not sustainable to, you know, to build a relationship with Nintendo to the point where they're giving you free stuff, that takes a lot of effort. Now, what this man did by releasing all that Mario Odyssey footage, the entire game, he jeopardized all of those people. Every single person. So, this isn't the first time that this has happened in recent memory. So, Mario and Luigi got leaked. Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga got leaked. Yes. Same thing happened. Now they found out who leaked that game, and I don't know what the what actions Nintendo took were, but you know that they took some action. And when Nintendo takes legal action against you, it hurts. Just look at the guy who uh, leaked New Super Mario Bros. for Wii. Yeah, they they came at him for like a billion dollars. They yeah. actually sued him for a billion dollars. Wasn't that for the Australian copy though? Yeah. Like he pirated the Australian copy to release to Australia. Yeah, and they they sued him for a billion dollars. One yeah. would a B billion, and they won. And so far mm -hmm. with this new guy, the most that's happened to him is he's been banned from YouTube, which is just YouTube taking action. Yeah. Which they waited too long to take action. Mm -hmm. The fact that his footage sat there for, for a, a week, for almost. a week, yeah, almost an entire week. And that's all it takes is a week. People, uh, the game's spoiled for so many people. That actually pisses yeah. me off a little bit right now. I'm just like, why would you? That, like and almost an entire week went by that footage sitting there with mm -hmm. YouTube not taking action when they should have taken action because YouTube has a whole staff that is strictly dedicated to gaming. They know what the embargoes are. They know when the release dates of games are. YouTube is fully aware and should be held accountable for let for allowing this footage to sit there as long as it did. Now, whether Nintendo wants to take action against YouTube is is on Nintendo. Personally, I don't think that's they a good could. idea either. I don't think I don't think that you can just attack YouTube, 
But I, I definitely think the YouTuber who is responsible for leaking this footage should have a harsher punishment than simply a three-month ban. He His IP address should be banned. It should be a permanent ban. Based on his IP address, would affect, which would effectively block anything that isn't a mobile device in his household. Mm-hmm. He should be permabanned from YouTube. Uh, Nintendo's been really quiet on this, though. That's yeah. the thing that's been really surprising. Nintendo is very quick to defend their IPs, to see them just not say anything. Well, we're just waiting, because right now it could be the oncoming storm. It's just very weird. Well, YouTube's banned them. What are we going to do? Do we want to blame YouTube a little bit? Are we going to go for the sky? Like, what are we going to do? Yeah. So I'm pretty but, sure they're getting their stuff ready. I'm, I'm pretty sure they're not going to take any action until after the game officially launches. Yeah. I think that would be the ideal time to strike, not before. But, yeah. See, what, what, is, what is interesting to me about this whole scenario is, is because of the Mario Luigi leak, review copies of Fire Emblem weren't set out, and there was a whole news report that Nintendo is tightening its, uh, they're tightening their grip on their first-party titles that they're going to send out to reviewers and YouTubers. IGN didn't have a copy of Fire Emblem Warriors to review. Well, that makes sense, then. IGN. That, like, YouTubers like that who want 15 minutes of fame, who want to they just want they want people to look at them. Don't I got this game early. Look at me. Yeah, they they don't think about how that affects other people. And I, I get I, I look to an extent. I can understand the temptation. I can understand the temptation. But at the end of the day, what is that going to get me? Is that going to get me more subscribers? Yeah, probably. But what does that mean when I'm? you know, banned for three months and I can't upload content when I have to go on hiatus because my I've been banned from YouTube. And the channel that I just got a whole crap ton of subscribers for don't have access to my footage. They don't have access to my content. That would take everything that I've done in the last two and a half, you know, damn near two and a half years and just destroy it. Mm-hmm. And... A sad counter-argument to that, which I say sad because this is the thing, is there's infi- there's a thing called infamy, where people are going to remember this because of the big fiasco, and so that may hold him over for his hiatus. There's a couple of accounts that I could actually pull up for reference, but they're too long to get into. Yeah. But that's just the thought that I have, is there's also this counter-argument. I think that sucks, because people are like, you know, hey, he, he really did this crazy thing. What, what else he's going to do? That's very true, yeah. You, you know... Personally, that's not the name that I would want for myself. That's I don't yeah. want to be that mm-hmm. guy, but... Obviously, but it exists, because people have done that. Well, like I said, I have references. I don't want to go into them too long, but it has happened with other examples in the past with other games. Yes. See, the, yes. Thing about, the thing about this that, that really bothers me, what bothers me the most is the effect that it potentially has against the larger Nintendo community. I have made really good friends within this community who, who are ambassadors for Nintendo, who yeah. do have a good relationship with Nintendo without being ambassadors, the SwitchCast and, you know, the Nintendo Power Couple being, you know, two examples of that, is that 
the the effect that this could have on them to 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 know that their channels could potentially be affected by people like the guy who leaked Mario and Luigi and the guy who leaked the Mario Odyssey gameplay to to see the hard work and dedication that they put into their craft being uh being in jeopardy because of somebody like that that pisses me off to no end. That really mm -hmm. pisses me, especially with you know the Nintendo Power Couple. To yeah. see how hard those two work on their channel, to know how hard they work on their channel, and how much they love Nintendo, for for the potential for their content to be affected by this guy's actions. I'm hot just thinking about it. I'm pissed off all over again. Have we known Nintendo to be that kind of person to be because one person messes up? What's the old saying? Um, one, one bad, bad apple spoils a whole bunch. Yeah, I mean, Nintendo, Nintendo is really harsh. Nintendo is really harsh. Mm -hmm. Look, look. I know what they do is in the best interest of the company, but look at the restrictions that we already have on YouTube. Mm -hmm. You can't just stream their content. You literally can't stream their content on YouTube as of last month. Yeah. You can, you can upload content, and you can, you know, after the fact, and you have to have your own input. You can't just upload blank, you know, gameplay. There has to be some kind of take on that gameplay, some kind of introspection of that gameplay. You have to mm. add your two cents to make it your content, not their content. Mm -hmm. You have to put your spin on it. You have to engage. That's what live streaming is good for. Like, yeah. when you live stream, you engage the audience. Uh, you both do. Mm -hmm. You can't just upload the footage as the footage itself. Because mm -hmm. Nintendo will pull it. There are heavy restrictions already. Yeah, And Nintendo... Nintendo does use that mentality of one bad apple spoils a bunch because mm -hmm. clearly they reduced the amount of copies that Fire Emblem, of Fire Emblem that went out to the public. When, when a major news source like IGN doesn't get a review copy of a game... I mean, that's crazy. That is yeah. bad because of one person. One person possibly affected the whole industry as far as, you know news media is concerned as far as video games. Now, will Nintendo loosen their strings maybe at some point in time? Yeah, but that always seems to take longer Way too long. with Nintendo yeah. than it does other people. Nintendo doesn't just forgive and forget. Nintendo remembers. Mm -hmm. They do. And, they remember. and that that hurts because ultimately mm -hmm. I would like to build this into a brand that where we get review copies of games, where we yes are, you know, sought out by Nintendo. We are invited to a Nintendo event. We are invited to E3 by Nintendo. We are invited to the Nintendo World Championships. But I would like to get to that status where it is us. Yes. Who is like that. But now, I see major a major roadblock. That, this is the, the most angry I've ever been at any one particular individual. Because it's stifling our growth as a channel. Mm -hmm. It's completely understandable. We're like, hey, we like to be, like you said, we want to be on that level with Nintendo. We want to be eventually brand ambassadors ourselves. Yeah, this is a huge roadblock. So yeah, it's justified that you're that angry. And my voice is getting very high pitched because yes, I feel the same way. 
I mean, it is what it is. Ultimately, at the end of the day, we we have to we have to overcome another hurdle. And I don't like I said, I don't think it's something we couldn't ever do. It's it's totally feasible. The you know our 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 you know our fan base has grown significantly in the month of October from the last episode we recorded to the new footage that's gone up on YouTube. We have grown very significantly in a very short you know amount of time. So I yes. I definitely think it's something yeah. we continue to do. We continue mm-hmm. to grow. We continue to overcome. And to all you guys listening, we appreciate all the support you're giving us. Oh yeah, we really yes. love this. We love you. It's guys. awesome. Thank you. No, and it, all that. All that is so awesome, and like I, I'm so freaking happy to see the growth, and so freaking happy to see people just, you know, commenting and engaging and just participating overall. It's it's awesome. It's awesome, mm-hmm. and I, and I see that growth, and I see how much further we can go, and it, like I said, we can overcome this obstacle. But is it one more thing that I have to overcome to do, you know, to get to that point? Yeah. And that bothers me. That bothers me as a content creator. That bothers me as as a fan of Nintendo. And that just bothers me. It, it just bothers me. Like, it is what it is. I'm going to get over it. But uh, moving on. Before we, before we cut it. Can I just have my two cents on this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, a friend of mine who was the first to notify me at the spoilers about the leaks, etc. I'm like, okay, I'm not going on YouTube. For like two weeks, whatever. But he 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 started off as very upset. He was angry, like, "Why did this game get leaked?" I was so excited, I didn't want spoilers. And then, like, two days later, he says, "Oh, so I just finished like watching all of the leaks of the whole entire game, and it's great." I'm he's doing the post game now. It's really, the game looks phenomenal. And I'm sitting there like, "Wait, so so you're you're okay with this? You've watched all of it?" And, and it just blew my mind because first of all, he was angry at the beginning. And he's like, well, spoilers don't really get to me that much. And then I'm thinking to myself, well, it's not even the spoilers. It, it's the fact that you're supporting this leaked content, that you're supporting getting getting our, uh, everyone, every other brand ambassador, every content creator otherwise, who's following the rules, playing the game fairly, like signing the embargo, etc. You're, you're ruining their chances. You're ruining part of their, their profits, their livelihood, etc., you're, you're limiting what they can do with their brand with Nintendo, etc. You're, you're hurting everything in so many ways. And, and by just supporting, people support the leaks. That got, as you said, 10,000 views on like Sunday. It, it, imagine if over the whole course of the whole leak, it got like three views. Then then where is his 15 minutes of fame? He has is, he is no fame. If, if no one watched it, he has no fame. And I get it. I get the temptation. It's a really exciting, really big game. You want to find out. How good is it? I get that, but willpower to not support these things is very important, I feel. And, and even if you don't care about spoilers, if you don't care about anything else, care about other what you're ruining for a lot of the gaming world by supporting it. So. Ultimately, he is not a legitimate source of Nintendo... Related content. He's not not a reviewer. Mm-mm. He's he's not even really a content creator. He's no. like I you know looked at his channel. There's not a whole lot of anything else. There's some game footage there. So he got lucky. He he yeah. had like 
three videos posted before that. He had three videos <clears throat> posted before that. He's not a content creator for YouTube. He's he was nothing before, mm -hmm. and I hope that he's nothing after this. Um, but right now, we're talking about him, and that's the problem. Is that right now? Even though we'd never said his name on this show, and we never will, we're we're feeding into it still. We're still feeding into it, and it's still possible. But there's still, there's yeah, I mean, that's still, that I mean, that's still bothering. Is indirectly on him, yes. Yeah, and that and that still bothers me. It, it mm -hmm. makes me. That's what makes me. That's what gets me hot about this whole subject is that it's it's not just the leak. It's not just how it affects me. It's not just how this affects my friends. It's the fact that we're sitting here and we've been talking about him and what he did for the last fifteen minutes. We just spent fifteen minutes talking about this, yeah. and we fed we feed into it. Whether or not we do it in a derogatory way, we dedicated time to the actions that he did. And that, ultimately, that bothers me a lot more than all the other stuff combined. Is that we're feeding into this. We have a fan base that is listening to this. We have a fan base that is listening to this. Technically, yeah. we didn't have to talk about this if we didn't want to. No, I was surprised to see on our talking points, actually. You know I didn't expect it. I didn't, I, I didn't think I would... I, at first, I initially didn't want to talk about it. I didn't even I, know. I thought, as I thought about it through, you know, throughout the course of the week, I was like, "It has to. We have to bring it up at some point." I don't necessarily think that we do our jobs if we don't discuss the negative stuff as well. Yeah. I mean, it is a big news topic amongst Twitter and Facebook. It was blowing yeah. up the feed, so it's kind of hard not to. Yeah, of course, yes. So I mean, it's you know, we've given it its time. Um, Obviously, I want to hear from the audience. Guys, how do you feel about this? It's okay if you support him. Look, honestly, if, if this is something that you supported, you supported his decision, I'm not going to throw shade at you because you ultimately didn't you know, do, the, do the deed. But I want to know what your thoughts are. Do you, is this something that you support or do you sit more like on our side of the spectrum where we, we look at how this affects things in the larger in, a, in the larger picture. Um, so go ahead. You know how to hit us up. Uh, f Twitter, Facebook, uh, by emails. Let us know how you guys feel. And while we're on the subject of Twitter, Facebook, and whatnot, we're going to do a contest. I'm excited. We haven't done a contest in a while. But uh, what we're going to do is we're doing the Twitter Capture Contest giveaway. So using the hashtag SwitchClip, S-W-I-T-C-H-C-L-I-P, and tagging at mpowerzone, entrants will submit up to a 30-second clip showcasing an awesome moment in their gameplay session to be judged by us, the Council of Game Masters. The winning entrant will receive a Mario loot box filled with tons of Super Mario goodies in celebration of Super Mario Odyssey. So, like I said, hashtag switch clip at mpowerzone, up to 30 seconds of whatever game you want to showcase. You want to showcase arms, poking, Odyssey, Breath of the Wild, something awesome. We're going to spend the next 30 days watching that footage and picking a winner. And whoever wins, you got an awesome Mario prize pack with a bunch of Super Mario goodies just for you. And promise, I'm going to hand select every item that goes into this loot box. You guys are going to make a way like bandits. So go ahead, enter the contest because I guarantee you 
you're going to win some awesome stuff. And we want to see what awesome Switch clips you guys put up. All right, guys. But what we're going to do is we're going to break for five. And when we come back, we're going to hit up our topic of the month. Metroid, Samus Returns. So don't go anywhere. And we are back. Guys, welcome to the Tenna Power Zone. I'm your host, Nice193, and again, I am joined by Blues and Jay Brilliant, and it's time to hit up our topic of the month. But before we do that, I actually do want to say this. For the Switch Clip Contest, I am giving away a copy of Super Mario Odyssey. That's going to be guaranteed in the loot box, so don't forget to hit us up with your submissions on Twitter, hashtag SwitchClip and PowerZone. But now, really it's time for our topic of the month, and... It's our Samus Returns deep dive. Um, obviously, this is a remake of the Game Boy Classic Metroid Return of Samus. Now, the first time I played that game, I was a little kid, and I remember how brutal that game is. Uh, as an adult, I have not ever gone back to replay that game, so coming and playing it here on the 3DS... That was something that got me super excited. I was ready to go ahead and, and just take this dive back into this this world. And it had expectations in my mind. This is a game that I went into with expectations. Because as, as a kid, I remember this game being brutally difficult. And as an adult gamer, I see games skewing in the opposite direction. Games are actually getting easier to beat. Games don't take that 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 hardcore mentality and apply it in the same way now it's about experience and sometimes the experience doesn't have to necessarily be difficult as long as it's interesting visually or interesting story or something else but back in the day we didn't have a whole lot of story in games we had sheer difficulty and the will to overcome that sheer difficulty that made a game intriguing and that was something that i thought was going to be missing from this iteration so i can't wait to talk about how i feel about this game but let's go ahead and we'll start at the beginning we'll start with the story of metroid sans returns so this is as a remake this game pretty much goes over the exact same story so basically the story of this game as a remake follows the the story of the original game uh planet zebus uh is being uh space pirates are going to planet zebus and they want to take the Metroid alien forms and they want to use them to, you know, attack and destroy the Federation. The Federation uh, sent an exploratory team out there. They get wiped out. So who do they call? They call the badass, most the most badass bounty hunter in the land, Samus Aran. And they ask her to destroy all the Metroids on this planet. Not blow up the planet, 
go on the planet and destroy all the Metroids in the planet, which, in hindsight, wouldn't it be just easier to blow up the planet, but whatever. That's the thing. I, I want to. I, I hate to do this. It's it's not Zebus. It's SR three eighty eight. SR three eighty eight. I'm sorry. That's the one in two. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But just, it's, it's, it's all good. No, no. That's why. You, that's why we have a council. No. <laughs> yes. So SR three eighty eight. They destroy all the Metroids on SR three uh, three three eighty eight, and that's the plan. That's the whole plan. Not blow mm-hmm. up the planet. Go onto the planet and individually kill all the Metroids. Because that's the only way that we can assure that they're all dead. Because if not, then no game. Exactly. So Samus just says, what does Samus say? All right, I'm a badass. You see me in the last game? I got this. (laughs) So that's the the premise. But in the back of the day, you had to read that in the instruction manual. This game starts off. I miss those days. (laughs) Surprisingly, (laughs) I do too. But this game... How does this game do it? They start us off with this beautiful hand-drawn art. Like mission briefing, comic book art. Yes. Like that. I love that. Which what, I'm a, no, what was my, go ahead, go ahead. During my stream, I was like, I, I got to that part, and then my viewer froze, and I'm like, shoot. I realized, like, after I got that far in, all through the story, and I felt so bad. But I at least, like, was reading it out loud, but it froze. No one saw any of those comments. I was super upset. It, and it's beautiful. This is some of the best hand-drawn mm-hmm. art that I've seen in a Nintendo game. Uh, yes. I think Codename Steam also had some really good hand-drawn art, but yeah. not a very big game. But still, no, this is great art. But what's what, what really what really made me happy was, while I was looking at the art, I was like, what if I turn on my 3D slider? So let me just flip the little slider up. I was like, holy shit! The art goes full 3D, and from that moment, from that moment, I was like, this is some of the best 3D uses I've seen on the 3DS in years. The last game that looked this good in 3D was uh, The Legend of Zelda, uh, Link Between Worlds. And that, was that, three years ago? Either way, I'm looking at the cutscene, and I'm like, holy crap, then the game starts, and it's perfect. So there's not a whole lot of story. Basically, kill all the Metroids. Um, and then from there, you kind of create the sto- the rest of the story in your head. But, I mean, that goes for a lot of classic Nintendo games. But as much fault as I can find with the premise as an adult, I think it's still badass that they think that one bounty hunter is literally going to go out there and destroy an entire planet full of things that are trying to kill her. It is so sick. And you know what? I totally buy it. I totally buy it. Like, hey, these guys are super unorganized and they think that she's the one who's going to save the day. She totally goes out there and you make that happen. So I think it's a good story. But, you know, let's move on to the next element because I think the next element is pretty much the most important thing we can talk about here is the the gameplay. Yeah. So, I mean... Metroidvanias, some of the best classic style games. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I love Castlevania games, but I really love, me- oh, you know, 2D side-scrolling Metroid games. They, they really did set a standard, and the gameplay of this is so similar, but at the same time, the revisions that this game has 
are really standout. I want to start by talking about uh, a revision that they did. Uh, it's the uh, the parry mechanic in this yes. game. First off, thank you for that because yeah. it adds an element to the game that I did. So I was wondering, I was wondering about the difficulty of this game. That was one of my primary concerns. Is this game going to be as difficult as I remember it being on the Game Boy Advance? The parry mechanic kind of factors into the overall difficulty of the game. It's not hard to perform a parry attack, but the t understanding the timing and how to use a parry attack properly, that can be difficult in and of itself. Especially when you consider how many tools Samus has at her disposal, that's a that's something that you can easily overlook. Is you know the monotony of a parry attack. Mm -hmm. That it is so functional in, in how you approach any type of Metroid fight. Mm -hmm. um, now they make the first few easy. Like hey, here's, you get this nice little visual cue. You know that the Metroid is going to swoop down, and that's when you should be preparing to, you know, to press that parry. But it's a little bit more difficult than that, because just, the vision cue is there, but the speed at which and the timing that you need to activate that parry, that added a whole new level of difficulty to the mm -hmm. game, difficulty to the game, and it's something that I still haven't completely mastered. There'll be times where I walk through that shit, and I'll parry like a boss, like, bah! But, but there'll be times where, like, in the heat of the moment, you know, I'm shooting the rocket when I should be preparing to parry, and it makes the game harder. And, that, and harder in a good way. It's something that I actually appreciate mechanically. Plus, it's also a mechanic for more recent Metroid games. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the Prime series that I'm glad to see because it just, it makes Samus that much more, you know, badass. It, it shows it shows off her skill set better. Uh, how do you guys feel about this specific mechanic in the game? So, um, honestly, I think you summed it up very nicely. Uh, it, so, I, I'm thinking about how the game would play without the parry mechanic. I would not be. I would definitely not be able to make it past like any any. I would not make it far at all because you're you're playing the game and you're taking care of you know a puzzle objective to shoot at an enemy, but there's like another third enemy or, or second or third enemy. And so you're shooting one or something else, and then you got to parry the other. You have to maybe parry three of them all in a row or something. And, and I would just take so much damage that I couldn't do it. And, and I could not play this game without the parry. I think it was very good in how they balanced it, how they brought it in to raise the difficulty. You're right. It is very hard to master. I can, I, you see on my stream, I was having a lot of time, like first time playing the game, I had a lot of hard time figuring out the timing, I screwed it up, that's the time I should have parried, but now I see that. And and it went through, it was a learning process and took up a lot of, like, towards the end of the first stream. I just, I'm getting the hang of it now. And now is the end. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely it was, it was no. there. And I liked it, I thought it added a great sense of depth, difficulty, and it's not, it's, Tiny, easy, hard to master, definitely. You sum it up very nicely. It just adds a new layer to the to the game. Uh, a, you know, a layer mm -hmm. that wasn't present in the original version. Uh, and that being said, like, 
that you know other the other core elements of Samus you know you know re, you know Samus Returns is the uh, the way this game is played as a typical Metroidvania game. There is a lot of you know backtracking, going from going to one area, setting off a chain of events in another area, then going back to that original area, and ultimately utilizing all the all the things that you did in the other section to gain access to another section. And the game goes on like that. Just the first area, there is a ton of backtracking. Just yes, you have to go. From the you know the first section, then you have to go down to the basement. Mm-hmm. Then ultimately you have to go back up to the uh, main the top section. section. Yeah, and go to what you couldn't get to before. Yeah, until you've done the basement. Basically, and then you know you you take the Metroid DNA, you input it into the to the computer, mm-hmm. and that's what's really cool about it is is that it, it also has that old school gameplay mentality is just because you killed an enemy in that area before you know on the lead up to that point when you backtrack those enemies have returned yes. and it's not easy going on your way back they are sitting there waiting to pounce on you at a moment's notice and that's something that took me a, a little bit of time to like readjust myself to because i would kill you know in a Mario game, if I kill a Goomba or I kill a, a Koopa Troopa, they're gone. It's gone. I, can, I can go back to that area, and they are not my word. But there's not a whole lot of necessitated backtracking in a Mario game unless you're being, you know, a completionist. In Metroid, you have to go back because yeah. the game wants you to go back to that area. And, you know, along the way, you have hidden upgrades that you need to traverse that's the other aspect of the game there are upgrades to samus that you 100% need to access different parts of those areas so just because you got back to that main area that you do need to access if you don't have the the required power up to move forward then all that backtracking was for nothing and let me tell you it took me a long time to realize that i needed the spider ball in order to, you know, be able to climb up to higher echelons and find hidden passages that I hadn't found yet. But once I found that spider ball, I was like, I bet I can access this area. And I'm like, damn. I just spent three <laughs> hours. Like and that's the thing. You will spend a crap ton of time there just lost and not know what to do. The game refuses to hold your hand. Yes. whatsoever it doesn't hold your hand in the boss fight it doesn't hold your hand with standard enemies and it doesn't hold your hand by constantly telling you which direction you need to move that is up 100 up to you the player is which direction do i travel in and is it the right direction because at one point i went all the way back up to the to where the you know where samus's spaceship is from the basement of area one Went all the way back up to the spaceship. I was like, maybe I need to go up here. So I'm sitting there with the morph bomb, you know, the morph ball bomb, and blasting my way, which is tedious. That is yes. not an easy thing to do, is to continue to elevate Samus by yeah. exploring her. So I'm sitting there blowing myself up repeatedly, and thank God this doesn't do damage to you, but I'm up, 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 up. And this, this area goes up really high, 
And when I got to the top, I realized I am not supposed to be here because these enemies are fucking me up. They just had their way with me. I was like, okay, I'm just not supposed to be here. And the worst part was I climbed all the way up, went all the way to the side, and then went down because I was being persistent for no reason. And I was like, I don't need to be here. Then I went and found the spider ball. And I was like, oh my goodness. This just saved me so much time. Another thing I, I want to point out is you have to destroy each Metroid in an area, collect its DNA before you can move on to another area. Yes. And without these upgrades, you can't even engage them. You need the uh, you need like one of the the freezing power. Oh yeah, the ice beam. Yeah. Yeah. The ice, yeah. You need the ice beam in order to go and find that very last Metroid in the bottom. Of area one section two, mm-hmm. and I was like, "What do I do? I don't remember what to do. I'm not gonna lie. I had to look it up. I had yeah. to look up. Oh, freeze the stupid thing so that it becomes a platform and then jump yes. over. Like this game is legitimately hard, and you actually physically have to use everything in Samus's arsenal to move forward. Mm-hmm. You can't ignore an upgrade unless you're some kind of horrible masochist." who likes to just do untold amount of pain to themselves <laughs> as far as video games are concerned. No, but and that's another thing too. There are a lot of like there are a lot of new games that don't necessarily ensure that you utilize all the tools that you have at your disposal. I'm going to name two games that I hold in very high regard that give you access to a ton of of, of things that don't utilize them as well as Metroid's uh, Return of, uh, Samus Returns does. Arkham Asylum and Breath of the Wild. I was thinking Breath of the Wild too when you were saying that. Breath of the Wild, you can do a lot of things with not doing anything at all that you have tools for. I stopped using utilizing runes before I even achieved the halfway point of that game. Yes. I love Breath of the Wild. Breath of the mm-hmm. Wild, in my opinion is the until tomorrow and we're playing Mario Odyssey right now Breath of the Wild is the best game in 2017 but I can tell you for a fact that I stopped utilizing runes because I had no need for them why did I need the bomb rune if I'm going to have bomb arrows uh do I necessarily freeze the time no unless the game makes me in a shrine I'm not going to stop I'm not going to use the room to stop time. Mm-hmm. I I barely used uh, Cryonis. Barely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The only real, the only legitimate reason to use that specific power was so I could get the Hylian Shield in the castle. The only time I think I really utilized it after I stopped using it before the halfway point in the game. You have a lot of tools in that game as Link. You may never need them. You just because. Mm-hmm you have a lot of tools. You have tools that can take up the place of those runes, so they don't, they weren't something I utilize a lot of. The same applies for the Arkham games. I think the Arkham games do a better job of forcing you to utilize uh, some of uh, Batman's uh, tool set. But for me, when I played Arkham, I was really heavily reliant on that detective mode, and I utilized a lot of the other tools a lot less. And it's just... 
that's just the way those games work. You you have a large arsenal of of things to use, and you you some do a better job than others. And honestly, I thought the bomb arrows were much more efficient than the room, the bomb room, and I just never went back to it. That's not the case here in Metroid. You have to use everything that Samus can do. You gotta use the electric armor. You gotta use the morph ball. You can't go to places without using the morph ball. You have to do everything at, that she has at her disposal. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make Breath of the Wild a bad game. It doesn't make it a worse game than Metroid uh, Samus Returns. It's a better game than Samus Returns, ultimately, but it's about how the gameplay utilizes mm-hmm. these elements, these these abilities. That is a good that like that is just good game design in general, mm. and that was good game design on the Game Boy. It it feels like better game design here on the 3DS. Yes. Uh, that being said, I think we can go ahead. Let's talk about the atmosphere of the game. Um, Planet Planet SR388 is a very uh, it's it's desolate. There are inhabitants there, uh, mm-hmm. but. It's virtually just the, the, the Metroids and the, uh, the other horrible monsters uh, that are on the planet that are literally just eat you alive. Those, I can't remember what they're called, but those little bat creatures. Oh, yeah. Those things drive me bonkers. They are the most persistent things. And personally, I'm the type of gamer, I have to kill them. Because once you touch me, it's personal. Yes. So I, I have to make sure it's dead. So I'm sitting there just like, I'm going to get you. You don't know where I'm going to get you, but I'm going to get you. Mm-hmm. And uh, when they start throwing them at you in the middle of a, of, a, of a battle with a Metroid, that's annoying. Like right before you get to that Metroid battle, they're just littered all over the place. And they're, they're you know... The, the the overall atmosphere of the game it's grim it's dark it's mm-hmm. there's not a lot going for this planet there's like literally it's a it's like a toxic world but visually visually it's it's almost stunning in a way it's like you're looking at this like apocalyptic planet and you know this you know when you're outside like the sky is like purple and blue like intermixing with one another yeah and there's like some there's kind of like this subtle beauty to it but as you you know you get deeper into the planet you start to see like you know the inner workings of it it's jagged it's rough it's rocky like Mm -hmm. the terrain is poisonous in some areas it's it's so well well designed and it really sets up the atmosphere of the game and that you realize that Samus is alone. Like that, the the way the the way the all the visual cues is that Samus is the only like intelligent life, life on this planet, and the it, and it's a struggle. Like that kind of like isolation should drive a person mad. Uh, you know, it would drive it would drive me mad. Uh, but you know, viewing it in in the context of this game, I there's something there's something oddly beautiful about how that works and like just the design of it like i appreciate the design and you know to compare it to the original game the original game 
the map layout is the same, but when you when you're looking at it through the lens of the Game Boy, that's something that is easily lost because you just it's that you know that green, like almost monotone, monocolored screen. It, it it you you had to use your imagination a lot more, and you know the people who remade this game, the imaginations that they had on them to take those pretty much blank backgrounds and give them life. And like when you're in the caverns, they made them almost temple like. Yes. Like mm-hmm. there's like you see all these like statues or you know corpses. The corpses of the of the of uh, the exploration team that we talked about in the story of the game, they're littered across the game. Mm-hmm. You see these little visual cues and it's like wow, she's really alone on this planet. And yeah. There was it was chilling almost. It was almost a little chilling like cuz then like you always feel like a sense of dread as you move forward in the game and I think mm-hmm. the atmosphere of this game is is like one of the strongest points of the game. Thoughts, man. Um the atmosphere honestly he wants to get subject very nicely. Um it's it, you look at the environment it's very beautiful, very very stunning, but there is that sense of dread and, and I feel like a lot of what, what makes it more, even more immersive is the isolation makes you feel it in the first place, is that you said, um, you know, I go crazy. And you look at Samus, it's, it's almost like you have this dreadful, barren planet that's like, why am I here? And you have Samus's mission to eradicate all the Metroids on SR388. And that mission is what she's doing, and that's your driving force as Samus. But then, when you're when you see that dread, you see that mission, you see this isolation. It really creates that immersion that I really really love. Um, like it, it, it's it's definitely something you you don't see as much. You see some post apocalyptic games. You see games with senses of dread, and it it's not all there though. And it definitely wasn't there on the Game Boy. It's Game Boy version was the only one I had really played. Um, but yeah, I've played a lot of original Black Book Game Boy games. You do lose a lot, you know? Going back, it, it, you do lose a lot. And I feel like, you're right, it definitely was. They, they could have left a lot of things less detailed, less colorful, whatever, less, less things here and there, like the corpses of the exploration team. And they're there. They put the effort to put this scenery, to put this environment in there, even though they didn't have to. And that's another great thing. Yeah, the sheer fact that that you know they 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 had their own vision that mm-hmm. didn't necessarily conflict with the original vision of the game no. that says a lot about that development team. Like, mm-hmm. like they're Metroid diehards. Yeah, they, yeah, you have to be to to take to take to be so accurate to the original game because the map doesn't change. The map mm-hmm. is one for one. Yes, but. What you, but the visual things that you see within the map that did not exist in that, that Game Boy game, that is that is something to behold. And I was like, man. And I'm a huge fan of the Alien franchise, mm-hmm. uh, which Metroid is extraordinarily based on, regardless of whether or not Nintendo will actually ever say it. It is 100% based on that film franchise. Uh, they... T- it, it reminds me of, like, this version of the game really reminds me of those movies. Uh, and I guess we can go ahead and, we you know, 
we can talk about the music real quick because the music adds to that atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, the music is cold. Uh, it's it's good music, but it's mm-hmm. cold, and it it heightens that sense of dread that I felt while playing the game. Uh, I still haven't beaten it yet. Um, I'm actually pretty close, but you know, for the purposes of this deep dive, I. I got far enough that I can comment on this game, but that sense of dread is really amplified by this great music. And this music, it's not like this fully fleshed out music. It's simplified, just like how Breath of the Wild takes, like, you know, the animal noises and and the piano, you know, know, they use like a piano for most of the score. You hear a lot of, you hear music and you hear, you know, the enemies, but it's, like the bare minimum that they could put mm-hmm. in and that really heightens that sense of dread and like you feel alone you feel alone. and it, if you play this game with headphones on you can come you can completely lose yourself in this game and that that says a lot because this at the end of the day I, this is still a 3ds game this is not a triple a hardcore like title like the last of us which is the only other game where i felt a sense of like isolation in the last like 10 years and even in the last of us there are other humans for you to interact with but i mean there is a you know there is the the presence of isolation is pretty heavy in that game um but metroid uh samus returns it really it really hammers all that in when you you know we, we take the atmosphere and you take this music and it is scary it is super scary and it's just something that I play that game with this weird sense of dread like I not like and so when something like legitimately happens like when I get caught off guard by an enemy it physically has a reaction on me I'm like oh yes. shit like I mm-hmm. physically have a reaction to that mm-hmm. not, not, like, not, not like like super scared or anything like Ah, but, but but like but yeah, damn. that jump of of I wasn't expecting you to come at me exactly like <laughs> not being ready for it that mm-hmm. that is definitely something that happens in this game and then um, it's like the, that you do see and you are ready for it and you like jump the gun and he goes through and jump the gun again that's the worst exactly and the other thing is is I like I you know I become a little you know overreactionary to it within the course of the game like. Mm-hmm. The deeper you get engrossed, exactly. that like, reaction yeah. gets heightened because oh, you're more in Samson's shoes than you were five minutes ago. Exactly, and you know I'll make the you know obviously I'll make the character overreact, like I'll over jump something and end up in a you know a, yeah. a fire yeah. or mm-hmm. you know or one of those like poisonous water pits because I yeah. I overcompensated for the fact that I was caught off guard by an enemy and do more damage to my character than the enemy would have done had I just mm-hmm. engaged that enemy. Yes. So all of those things combined, man, they they make the game just just so awesome, and I really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, let's let's talk about the enemies for a little bit because uh, sure. Samus Return has a crap ton of enemies, mm-hmm. uh, and and it's not just the Metroids themselves. Uh, you have all the other things that inhabit the world that are also mm-hmm. villainous in a way. Like, and, and they're just animals. They're they're like these mm-hmm. animals. Like, there's nothing inherently evil about an animal, but the threat that they pose to you is uh, 
It's, it's so deep. I'm going to say that, no, there, there are some things that aren't animals. That, um, if you've watched Nintendo World Championships, you would know. Um, what is it? Like the drill knot? Yeah. Thing? That, that was made by someone to, to probably not kill, but to, for maniacal reasons of mining, maybe. And that is how, that thing is scary. Oh, no, okay. that is one of the worst missions in the game. Yes. Mm-hmm. That is, not because it's, not because it's bad, but because it's, it's sheer it's, difficult because you, because it's one of those moments, again, that requires you to utilize a lot mm-hmm. of the tools that, you, that mm-hmm. you've got. Yes. You have to do that. You have to morph ball. You have to spider ball. You have to, you know, you have to use the bombs. You have to use the, uh, the electricity shield. You have yes. to use virtually everything. Everything and, at your disposal. And it's one of those uh, like Indiana Jones missions where like oh, yeah, yeah. you're running you the, the ball and rolling down, mm-hmm. and nick of time. You, the the enemies li- there are enemies littering your path, mm-hmm. and the the maze aspect of it. How do I go? How do I progress? Because I'm about to die. That's mm-hmm. that 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 enemy. What, th- what's scary about it is is like it's not it's not. In the, in the same way that it is the Indiana Jones mission with you're running from the ball, the mm-hmm. thing is, is that this thing is actually actively pursuing you. Mm-hmm. Like you it's looking for you. By the time you get to the end of it, there's that thing where the eye is like, "Where'd mm-hmm. you go?" <laughs> like that is terrifying, and I don't even know how to classify that. I, I kind of want to say that that's kind of like a mid boss type. Yeah, moment. it's a mid boss. That had me the 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 fear that I felt. I was legitimately scared doing that. I was like, "Oh, I'm terrified. I am terrified because I died forty six times. <laughs> forty six times. I don't know how to say that. Oh, I always whenever I encounter something that I have to do multiple times, uh, I always count how many times I do it. So I'll sit there with like a little piece of paper and a pen tally, and I'll tally. like hash mark. So here's a little hash mark here. And I'm like, this is insane. I was like, I'm never going to beat this. I'm never going to beat this. Now, the feeling feeling when you do beat it is amazing, right? What's funny is, is that like, I saw, you know, comparing my difficulty to that. And, you know, to go back to, you know, you brought the Nintendo World Championships. To compare my difficulty to that, to the added pressure that they had because they live audience. Yeah, live audience. And it was a title. Exactly. I can, I'm like... It's a miracle anybody beat that challenge. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. that pressure is legitimately there. And and that's just one enemy. I mean, outside of that, there's just the, the monsters that litter the planet, which ultimately, you know, your final boss of the game um, is the Queen Metroid in this game, I believe, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Though, you know, going off of my memories of the original game, because I haven't gotten to that point yet. I'm, I don't know if I'm too far off uh, this time around, but just the, the sheer difficulty of that boss and knowing what you're gonna, what I'm going to be up against, uh, you know, by the time I do complete this game, I am just, I, I'm frightened of the difficulty I'm gonna have now, especially, you know, with the new parry mechanic being yeah. such a primary factor in how oh, you defeat an enemy. Mm-hmm. You. But the, you know, you need the parry mechanic to be, you know, boss battles. Like, mm, that's yes. basically the only clean hit you, you yeah. get on them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there is... There, there, oh, man. The Diggernaut. Dude, yeah, that is just... 
No, yeah. I'm, I'm not. That's something when I I'm gonna when I once I beat this game, that's something I'm gonna look forward to playing and seeing how well I fare replaying, seeing how oh, well I well I uh, fare the second time around. Yes. But outside of that, there's not a whole lot of enemies in this game. I think the enemies that the game does have it utilizes better than a lot of other games because mm-hmm. you can get easily sucked into this game and think that these enemies aren't a threat. But what's great about it is is that when you start to couple these enemies, you know, when they when they start to group more closely together, the further on you get into the game and ultimately how they will litter your path when you're in the middle of a mid boss fight or a boss fight, then they be- they truly become a threat. And that mm-hmm. that's another that's another cue from this game that I think people should really grow to appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. So, so with my, my thing that I love about the enemies, I'm going to put in a few examples here, is where they are strategically placed in the levels and how the levels work around the enemies as well. So if you look at a game like Breath of the Wild, you, you don't have a lot of forced enemy encounters. You could go all over Hyrule and go around the enemies if you want. You know? You're never... There aren't too many times where you have to actually fight things. You can go around enemies a lot of the time depending on what your goal is. So, but then you look at something like Mario, you know, you go on through a 2D Mario level, you have the Goombas, you have the um, Koopa Troopas. They're there, you have to usually go around them or stomp on them or something. But there, there's not really much, okay, if something, you're not going to have a problem anymore. So, what we, we... The Koopa Troopa and the Goomba aren't designed to be challenging. They're designed to be little minor annoyances. But when you have... Um, a level that strategically, like, where we're going to have these really tricky platforming areas where you can easily overshoot it, and you go too fast, fall into that fiery pit. Um, but when I was talking to these enemies, I found a lot of the time I was too impatient. I would say, well, I don't want to deal with the enemies, so I'm just going to run it across these platforms. But taking the, the extra minute to just clear out the enemies first is so worth it when you are retrying over and over and over again. And, and it's really that beauty of the levels designed, the enemies in mind, to make you decision-make of how the best way to, to do it is, what tools you're going to use, you use missiles, charge shot, whatever, um, how are you going to do this? Oh, and, and ultimately, and, there's the threat of Ridley at the end. Uh, That's mm-hmm. something that we can't forget, is the threat of Ridley does loom in the distance. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he makes a late appearance in this game, but the threat of really is something that if you've played this game before or if you're just very familiar with the franchise, that's something you also have to keep in mind. Yeah. But I'll try to interrupt, but go ahead. And, and I'm going to go back to the Juggernaut in a little bit, too. But each enemy is is built into the world, too. So you see, this this world had, me. I'm assuming it's Chozo, I actually don't know, but Chozo, like artifacts, life forms, computers, there was civilization here at one point. But now, now there's, as we've talked isolated, there's no other intelligent life at all. And, and you see these, like, environments that have, like, metal work and artifacts, hieroglyphics, whatever, and then covered in moss. There's, like, an enemy nest. There's things crawling out of it, etc. So the enemies in the world make it feel once more that this planet is abandoned. It's been this way for a long time. But then you go back to something like the Juggernaut, and... That is not something that is there 
because it has a nest in the walls. That was built by someone, something, some civilization for a task, and, and it gives you even more insight to the history of who lived here, why they lived here, this this planet in itself. So enemies give give that sense of isolation, even more hype, even that mystery feeling, this this what happened, this everything about this environment now is heightened when you add enemies like this into it. Exactly. And so it's, it's the lore, which I love about enemies, and it's how they're strategically placed, so they're not like minor annoyances, and they're not, you can avoid them entirely, they're just afterthoughts almost. Well, again, this brings me back to Breath of the Wild. Like you said, like you can avoid encounters, but mm-hmm. a, at one point in the main story of Breath of the Wild, they literally guide you to an encounter with a, uh, mm-hmm. a Lionel. Yes. And mm-hmm. you can still stealthy with, like, uh, in, the, uh, mm-hmm. in, the, in the Zora territory. Zora, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, On they, top of the mountain. Exactly. They, they kind of fuck arrows. Yeah, they, they force an engagement with a Lionel on you that mm-hmm. ultimately you can still... You know, care. you can you can uh, you know precision you know sneakily precision your way, pick up the arrows from like you know the ground or from the tree, and you can get the hell out of there. That's what I did. I did not engage that Lionel on top of the Zora Mountain in Breath of the Wild. I you know I stealth my I know Metal Gear Solid my way through that area and jump back down the mountain. The only time I wish that I had the capture feature before um that it was implemented was when I fought that Lionel. That was my one Breath of the Wild moment time. Like, this was amazing. That, that was, was so cool. I'm so proud of what I just did there. That was my first, um, my first, uh, uh Divine Beast was, was the Zora. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was mine as well. Was, um, so, I was not prepared for that. No, I was not prepared for anything that went down. I was not prepared for getting to Zora so many. I wasn't prepared for the, the root, um, Ruta, I wasn't prepared for the feels. Um, when the flashbacks, I wasn't prepared for anything. No, that was so well done. I'm so no. glad that's my first one, my first experience to my beast. I like the fact that you made that comparison with Breath of the Wild because, again, it's it's the different mentalities between these two games. Both How they're designed, designed. Mm-hmm. both made by you know Nintendo, mm-hmm. uh, and they're just completely juxtaposed. Mm-hmm. Yet they both are great games. It doesn't mm-hmm. one game doesn't hurt the other. Mm-mm. In fact, I would say that the strengths of Breath of the Wild do not affect, you know, the weaknesses of Samus Return no. and vice versa. They their strengths are their own and that's what separates these two franchises. That's mm-hmm. what makes these two franchises genuinely unique and mm-hmm. and Different experiences that I can yes. that I can have with both of these games is so important to me. That's and that's why these are two of my favorite Nintendo franchises. Uh, but Metroid definitely doesn't get the same kind of like that. It doesn't get the same kind of love that, mm. that the Zelda series does. No. Yet I would say that it's as strong as that series on any given day, and in some cases stronger. Yes, like. I'm just gonna say, other than like Thousand Year Door, which is different. But if you're comparing what was the best like GameCube Zelda game versus all of the Metroid Prime series that one and two that were on GameCube, Metroid Prime was definitively other than like Thousand Year Door, the best GameCube game. Wind Waker, Twilight Princess were great, but 
Prime Trilogy, GameCube was just so no, much no. better. Yet you look at N64, Metroid didn't even have an appearance on that stage. Nope. Ocarina of Time is beloved by many. Yeah, and there's no Metroid entry on the Wii U as well. I mean, other, mm-hmm. other than that, uh, man, Nintendo Land, like... Yeah, I love that minigame. It was a great minigame. But I love Nintendo Land in general. I spent... Well, no, that was, a, just, that was one of my favorite games at launch. Mm-hmm. No, but... You know, this is a franchise that doesn't get the love that it deserves. No, it doesn't, no. Uh, well, okay, so... We've talked about the graphics uh, when we talked about the atmosphere. We've talked about comparing it to the original Game Boy mm-hmm. game. So I think we can actually segue what we're currently talking about into mm-hmm. what does this mean for the franchise? What does this mean for me- the Metroid franchise? Is Nintendo pinning their hopes on this game to gauge uh, the, 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 audience, the audience's interest? And to some extent, yeah, I would have to believe that Nintendo is really pinning hopes on this 3DS title because despite how good the Metroid franchise is, it's not one of the better selling franchises no. in their in their you know repertoire. Yes. Yet I I think the excitement when they announced this game was really high. I mean mm. yes, they had announced Metroid Prime 4 before mm-hmm. they announced this game. Yeah. But mm-hmm. you know well, they didn't show us anything for Metroid Prime 4. What they did no. show us was a real Metroid game. Yes. Um, in this game. And mm-hmm. I have to think that this franchise has been stagnant for so long that people are willing to come back to it. Uh, personally, I didn't know if I was going to get this game. I didn't know if I was actually going to have anything to contribute to this episode because I didn't know how much I wanted to play a remake of the game. Um, I literally bought the game two weeks ago mm-hmm. and I plowed through a lot of it in the two weeks uh, yeah. before the before we recorded this show. Like, I am almost done with the game. I'm not done with the game, but I am damn near there. Yeah. And I'm like... I haven't, I haven't played nearly as much as I should since your software messed up. But. Yeah. No, but <clears throat> still, I mean, it was a game that I didn't necessarily because I'm not a huge fan of remakes. I'm just not. Uh, no, because it's like, always, I'm not either. It's always really hard to recapture those feelings that I felt. Mm-hmm. It also makes it sometimes hard for me to replay games. Um, yes, because once once that that initial feeling of of the game is gone, I don't want to. I don't want to. Inter- intertwine my memories yeah. of that of of that with newer memories. Yeah, but I'm so happy that I picked this game. I'm so happy that I sat down and played this game, mm-hmm. and just you know, what for one, I was it got me off of my switch, which that's, <laughs> yeah, same. That, that's that's hard. That's hard. Yeah, definitely. You know because I have not. You know, I it's hard for me to not want to play my Switch because it because I can do play it anywhere. Mm-hmm. But it got me off of my Switch, which was something that I was pretty much you know I I had uh I had gotten myself into this headspace that I would probably never put down my Switch in favor of my 3DS, which mm-hmm. kind of made yeah. me sad for my 3DS, and I could con- mm-hmm. con- I contemplated whether or not I should actually trade it in, and ultimately I'm like. 
Well, there's a Pokemon game coming out, maybe, you know, but, you know, but I don't know. I mean, it is, you know, it's an enhanced Pokemon game. It's not like a, you know, completely new. It's not the new generation. Exactly. But I'm glad I kept it. Uh, mm-hmm. And now I'm, I'm like fully immersed in this game. And, you know, I wish I could have beaten it before Mario Odyssey comes out tomorrow. Um, mm-hmm. But ultimately, I just don't have enough, There's not enough time in the day. For me to yeah. just do that, I mean, I have to play it in you know small chunks for myself. But I, you know, I typically yeah. play the game about two hours a day. It's unfortunate that I spend like an hour and a half of that two hours actually lost figuring like, things out. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because the game, because like we, you know, like we described in this episode, is so much backtracking that uh, yeah. and and find you know exploration that you can be lost and not know where to mm-hmm. go and. Hey, if that's how I spend my two hours, that's how I'm going to spend my two hours. But yeah. that doesn't make me hate the game. It actually makes me like the game even yes. more. Yeah. Because it's hard. It's hard in a way that games aren't hard anymore. And I'm like, fuck yeah, this is hard. And I love it. Yeah, it was um, my second Metroid fight. I've, I've died so many times. Like, okay, I just got, I just got to beat him. I got to finally beat him. And I realized that the real challenge was escaping the room that I was fighting him in. Or her. I don't know if Metroid's attack genders. Um, but so I, I had no clue. I, I beat the Metroid. I'm like, okay, okay. Is is the exit that I blow up here? Is it here? Is it on the ceiling? I'm just like, took me so long to figure out how to get out of there. After I, I finally accomplished beating the Metroid. No, and that's the thing. Yeah, that, that's, that's the real challenge. Is finding a way out of the, the room. Well, and that's the again. It goes back to gameplay. It's like just because you've completed the objective. Doesn't mean that you've actually, you know, done anything important. Yeah, you haven't done anything of value. You have to now because once you've completed that job, now the goal becomes I've I've captured the Metro DNA. How do I get back yeah. to that initial, you know that that computer so I can uh-huh. upload the DNA and move forward? Definitely. Yeah, that was the thing that threw me off as well. But, um, but the, based on the sales, do you think that the, you know if this game does well, isn't it, or more to say, is is Nintendo hoping that this game does well so that they can really continue this franchise, or is Metroid Prime Four enough of a confirmation that this franchise is going to continue? I have always believed that Metroid was a series, even though it didn't get as many games, it didn't get as much love. I knew that Nintendo would never really abandon it. Um, I knew it would be a longer wait, you know, so fine by me, but like. I, I've always had faith in Metroid, but you look at things like Shibi Robo, Shibi Robo got ziplashed, and it's it's not the same. And you can say they'll throw in love at it, but it's just not the same. You know that. You look at Sin Punishment, Sin Punishment's a great game, got a successor on Wii, but how long that took. Kid Icarus, you got Uprising, they're not going to get another Kid Icarus game for years, and that ticks me off so much. We might but never get another Kid Icarus game, right? Sakurai mm-hmm. is not there. Sakurai mm-hmm. said he doesn't, because Sakurai doesn't like to make sequels. Yes. And mm-hmm. because of the direction he set that franchise in, I don't know if another director can continue that without destroying it. So I, I think, I think it would, Kid Icarus is one of those series that you can do whatever with it at this point. It started off as a platformer, it became a shooter on rails and like weird on ground thing. And I loved it, but it's not established. If you, if you did that with Zelda, and you said, all right, we're going to take Zelda, we're going to take the Zelda formula and everything that we love about Zelda, and we're going to turn it into, like, a first-person shooter or, or some other, obs- not obscure genre, but obscure for Zelda, it wouldn't work. But there's only, like, 
two main Kid Icarus games, one on the Game Boy that, like, no one has heard of, you could, you, there's still so much room to, for the franchise to grow. So you could, you could change your 180 with the whole direction again. I mean, it wouldn't matter as long as you're, you're expanding the series more. I'd be fine. But back to Metroid, I'm sorry. But I love it. I, I feel like we were always going to get new main installments. What, and, and it has just been a rocky road. But I feel like we were always bound to get another first-person Metroid, like Prime, Prime 4. I knew that we were always bound to get another 2D. I, I'm still hoping for some sort of game in this style, Other M as well. I loved, I'm, I loved Other M, other than the story and a bit of the first-person segments. I thought that... I loved exploring Other M. I loved platforming. I loved combat. But I loved that quick time, like quick dash, charge. That was really fun. I loved that mechanic. I'm a big fan of Other M. I don't like the story. Uh, it's it's a story. We got what we wanted in the timeline gap, but eh. anyways, that aside, I thought it was a great game gameplay wise. A few a few niche things to pick out in terms of gameplay, but it was great otherwise. And, and Federation Force, you know, it was something. It was worse than I even anticipated. But I bought it. I was like, you know what? It's gonna be fun for just messing around with friends. And, and but. I'm, I'm glad they're getting these things. I think that no matter what, even if Metroid Sims returns tanked, um, they would have still gone on with the series even after Metroid Prime 4. Maybe not as much still, even less, but I think it would never die. I think this is one of those series that will be immortal as long as it can go on. Agreed. Alright, so the last thing I want to talk about is hmm. the 3DS. Mm-hmm. What does a game like this mean for the 3DS? I mean, because the Nintendo Switch has the potential to completely replace all designated handheld devices due to the fact that in and of itself, it can be played a handheld or it can be played as a home console. In fact, it's almost, it's kind of a shame that this is a 3DS game. As much as I love the 3D effects in this game, I think it's the mm -hmm. best utilization of 3D on this system in a long time. Yes. It could have been on the Switch. This game could have been on the Switch in the exact same format that it's in now mm -hmm. as a 2D Metroidvania style game. And it would have worked just as well. Might have worked better to have seen it. Because there's like again, if we're talking about the visuals and the atmosphere, yeah, this game mm -hmm. isn't a powerhouse, but it freaking looks fantastic. Graphically mm -hmm. this game is no slouch on the 3DS and it would have looked mm -hmm. good. You know, 1080p, 720p, yes. running at it, run, it runs at 60 frames per second. And like, if we look at this game on the Switch, it would have, I would think, it might have, it might have sold better. So, what does it mean? This kind of support, like this kind of support, not having it on the Switch versus having it on the 3DS, because even the last Fire Emblem game, Fire Emblem Warriors, is a multi-platform game between the yes. Switch and the 3DS. So um, we're starting to see, and we also have a Pokemon game, and obviously we had Mario and Luigi as well, mm -hmm. another remake. Yes. The 3DS has a strong little, you know, it has some life support left in it. Yes. What does this mean for the 3DS, in your opinion? Um, I think this is perfect for the 3DS. Um, I think when you look at the 3DS and those current Switch life cycles, where they are, 3DS is much more established. There's a certain kind of position that the 3DS is in. So not only is you're going to reach a lot more people on the 3DS right now, because everyone has a 3DS at this point. Um, you're going to be, like, 
I feel like Nintendo with the release of the Switch has has separated the markets to be um, the Switch is the big boys adults co- console and the 3DS is more of a kids console and and even to balance it so the 3DS isn't just kids garbage they're throwing a lot of remakes which I'm very proud of I'm 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 loving Mario Luigi's I'm loving Metroid Sam's Returns I love that those are included with these new kinds of 3DS games that we're getting and I feel like it does feel out of place to have both. You're right, we could have definitely had a Sims Returns on the Switch. We could have had a lot of things on the Switch that are on the 3DS. And it does feel out of place, definitely. But um, I feel like as, as a send-off and a transitional phase for the 3DS as well, because it's kind of both, I feel like having these kinds of games are phenomenal for the system. Um, I do feel like there was a bit of missed opportunity on the Switch, but I'm fine with it as long as we are getting this kind of experience, I guess. No, I, I can agree with that statement. It, it's a swan song. It's, it's the mm-hmm. perfect swan song send-off for mm-hmm. this great console that took a mm-hmm. little bit of time to get off its feet, but now we look at it and it's a juggernaut in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it, it's 100% agree with you. In mm-hmm. that established base of these games, like, it, every, if you want the game, you can play someone out there. Everyone has 3DS. And that was, I feel like, huge. I feel like that's a very strategic play when putting games on a certain console. Definitely, I feel like that was very important. I also want to go back to way earlier in the episode here. Um, we talked about how Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon is the last 3DS Pokemon game. That's That probably is what's going to kill the 3DS. Pokemon has such a big wave of, of push when it comes to sales comes to driving consoles and everything. And so seeing the 3DS no longer in Pokemon games, no longer in Pokemon support, is definitely going to be huge for the 3DS's end. I'm just going to say that. Like, you can't take away Pokemon from something and keep it alive. It's just not going to happen. No, that is 100% true. Once Pokemon games leave the platform, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's pretty much the death knell for that, for that yeah. platform. Um... But man, and then you're gonna go back. And we're gonna play like we play Fire Red Leaf Green still. We play Golden Crystal. We, so we're, we're gonna see the 3DS come back as not like a retro console, but as as a thing people play to re-experience these great games. I want to rebuild my 3DS collection right now, honestly. Well, and not only that, but you know, we might get to the point where there's there's a few games that could probably show up in virtual console format for the mm-hmm. Switch. Yes. Um, not a whole lot of them. Not ones that really require the 3D, but. Mm-hmm. The ones that don't, I can see, uh, like, again, Metroid Prime, even though it's a great use of 3D, it's not mm-hmm. a requirement. It, they, it, I can see that making its way to the Switch at some point. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. not, you know, f- for a couple of years, but maybe yeah. down the line once the 3DS is officially retired, you know, yeah. and people want to experience this great game, it might show up in the eShop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would be down for that 100%. Um, right. It does kind of, the second screen is important on most games, so that's where I, I feel like, you draw the most issues other than the 3D effect. Yeah. Only like four games use 3D fundamentally, and then the rest mostly if it has some exclusive, it's the touch screen. Exactly. So, but I would love to see it. I'm still, I'm still. The one thing that has me bummed out about the Switch is that I'll never, I doubt we'll ever get a Pokemon Ranger game on the Switch because you can't do it unless you're doing like motion controls. But that's just be weird. I'm not going to get another Pokemon Ranger. I could see that. Just sitting there right with, the with the Joy-Con, that would be awful. Right. Oh, that would actually be awful. 
right? Yeah, and I don't want to. I don't want that kind of experience with Pokemon Ranger. Um, um, but Mystery Dungeon, I still have Mystery Dungeon, right? Yeah, we. I, I'm surprised we haven't seen a Mystery Dungeon game, right? Um, yeah. In a while. You would think like bef- precursor to a lot of the mainstream games are Mystery Dungeon games. You know, we got Super, not Super Mystery Dungeon. Um, what was the one before that one? Um, um Infinity Gates to Infinity. Yeah, did X and Y. Well, yeah, and it's always they kind of always use those games as a lead-in to the yes. main series. It was like and the that's road what we're talking about. The road. I remember the first one, the first Pokemon Ranger game. They called it the Road to Diamond and Pearl. Like they used that. Oh, yeah, yeah. All their advertising it was like this is the yeah. the lead. And he had Manaphy. He had the Manaphy event at the end too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it would transfer yeah. over, and then that was the only way to get feel was to get the Manaphy from Ranger. Yes. And then put it with a Ditto. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. The, no, catching you to get the Manaphy egg was awful. I, I'm very stressed about that to this day. <laughs> that was the worst capture I've ever had to make. All right, but let's go ahead. Let's wrap things up. Uh, overall thoughts on uh, Samus Returns, man. Like I said, this was a game I didn't know I was if I was gonna get uh, because I just wasn't. I wasn't sure if this was the kind of experience I want to experience in 2017. Uh, honestly, I will say this. I'm going to say this about the game. This is a highlight of 2017. This is mm-hmm. top tier. Among all the great games that have come out in 2017 on Nintendo platforms, this is one that people shouldn't sleep on. Yeah, no. maybe the story is a little dated. And maybe it's an experience you have already played through. But ultimately, I think it is worth it to revisit this world this way. It has never looked this good on the Game Boy, and it does on the 3DS. Uh, the, the changes in the gameplay mechanics all work in the game's favor and add a whole new level of difficulty that the game didn't have. This isn't your daddy's Metroid game. This, this, this game isn't even necessary for children uh, because of its difficulty. But uh, I think the kids that do pick this game up and the adults that pick this game up are going to be pleasantly surprised by what this does for the franchise as a whole. And I t- totally think that this game will have a huge hand in revitalizing a near-dead franchise. I, I one thing you just said is really taking me off. Um, if you you are watching a Nintendo podcast, if you are playing Nintendo games for the story, you need to go somewhere else. Nintendo games are not known for their story. You save the princess from the castle, and pretty much that's it. So, if you're here, you're here to play Metroid Sales Returns for the key level design. You're here for the tough difficulty, the enemies, the isolation, the, the environment, the Metroidvania style of platforming. You are here, not for the story, you're here for the great experience and detail and design that Nintendo can give you, and Metroid is famous for. That's all I'm going to say on that. It, it, I do have to go back one more time. The design on Sales Returns is, is so good. You have a lot of just all the new concepts, the parry, the, the Aeon abilities, I think. Maybe it's Aeon. Yep. Yeah, and you're given um, so many new tools, but everything's intact. Everything feels good. It's a very solid game. Levels, the world is so incredibly well built. And you can't you can't pass it up because it doesn't look as good or whatever because you're here you've never Nintendo's never had graphics they've never had story they have great gameplay and that's what this provides the design once again phenomenal I just love the design of this game 
Agreed. But anyway, guys, it's time for us to go ahead. We're going to get out of your hair. But before we let you go, you can hit us up on these social media links. You can hit me up on Twitter at Nice1983. You can email me at Nice1983 at gmail.com. You can hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com slash Zone. If you're a fan of this podcast, you can always download new episodes on iTunes, Google Play Music, stream new episodes on Stitch Radio. But you can catch the video version right here on YouTube, youtube.com slash Zone. Brandon, hit them up with your social media links. Still working on that, but very, very soon, actually. But I would like to point out one last social media plug, though. Do that contest. Um, I believe the hashtag is SwitchClip, right? SwitchClip. Um, hashtag SwitchClip. Um, S-W-I-T-H-C-L-I-P at NPowerZone on Twitter. Um, we're really looking forward to those submissions. I, I was talking to a nice one here after the break. I'm so excited to judge all of these. I'm excited to see what everyone has to provide. So please submit. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, I know it's been a long podcast as usual, but there's a lot of great stuff to talk about in the world of Nintendo right now. Exactly. So. Yeah, we, we have lots of news. And hey, tomorrow is Odyssey Day. Jump out superstar, you guys. All right, guys. Take it easy.